Jesus Christ, the blood of the covenant. I have never forgot that message. Touched me and impacted my life. And uh, I have looked forward with great anticipation for the ministry of the word of the Lord. We want Brother Gross to come. We want to give him plenty of time to speak what God has placed in his heart to speak to us. How many of you want to be more than hearers of the word? We want to be doers. Let's give the Lord the praise that he's worthy of as Brother Gross comes to minister the word of the Lord. Brother Gross, come. Thank you and praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I am delighted and honored to be in this position here today. And I uh, appreciate the uh, invitation. And uh, it again is a high honor just to have been asked to have a small portion in this meeting. I was tremendously blessed last evening about you. And I just had the expectation that things are going to continue after we get at least through with this part of it. In that same vein, with the touch of the Holy Ghost in our lives. After all, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Praise the Lord. So thank you, brethren, for your confidence. And it really humbles me to, uh, again, have to know that that is the case. And I don't have the right words to express all those things that I probably should. Matter of fact, I'm going to quickly go to the word of the Lord here today. I'm very cognizant of the time. I know that uh, there are couple of brethren that are going to be following me here today and I'm a little bit uh, uh, unaccustomed to uh, to that but you help me try to do what I need to do here today and do it quickly amen and God will help us together we're going to be turning to the book of Leviticus in the 16th chapter for our reading here today. Many years ago, I was preaching a revival for Brother Steve McMullen when he was still in Moss Bluff. And I was in the office one day, and my son, who was about eight years of age, came in the office, and he had his finger stuck in his Bible. and. He walked up to the desk and he said, Dad, I found in the Bible where it's wrong for us to wear bathing suits. I said, thank you, Jesus. I was needing something for tonight, but uh, where's that text at? And he read there where it says that priests were not to wear divers garments <laughs> so, 
So I commended him on his study. Uh, but I realized that uh, sometimes right principles can be derived from wrong scriptures. <laughs> I pray that somehow I can bring them both together here today, right scripture with right principle. So if you'll turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, in his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And if you put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, Upon the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. I'd like for you to notice specifically from the reading here today this expression in verse 12. And his hands full. And his hands full. I'd like to invite you to help me here today as we explore the word of the Lord together. And I'd like to talk to you about God's preacher, a man with his hands full. God's preacher, a man with his hands full. And surely every preacher in this building can attest to that fact. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us here today. Lord, as we come together and as we somehow ask that your guidance and your direction would touch our hearts and our lives this day in this place, you have convened us that somehow you might talk to our lives and our hearts that we may leave this place better and different than we came. Somehow instruct us in righteousness and let the words of life produce that which you would have within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you kindly for your attention. You may be seated. I have often found that when we search for the emphasis of God, that we are many times maybe surprised to find out that God's emphasis is vastly different than ours. The emphasis that God places on events and things and circumstances many times is very different than what man places upon those situations. 
In Luke 16 and 15, there is this scripture, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. That just clarifies what I've just tried to state, and that is that God's emphasis is vastly different than especially carnal man and carnal man's reasoning and his thoughts. My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the heaven is above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above yours. There have been countless volumes written of by man, about man, trying to understand the universe that he is in. There has been the philosophizing of droves of philosophers, not just in the past, but a continuation of that throughout time of man trying to logically reason his existence, his purpose, and all the other things that he cannot fathom by his own mind. But usually when that you read after such philosophers and such thinkers, you'll find that predominantly they put the focus upon the man. The man is the prime. The man is the central. The man is the hub. But like I would like us to understand today that when it comes to the emphasis of God, don't be surprised that man is not the emphasis. What an amazing book this Bible is. You flip it open and begin to pursue the first chapters of Genesis. And in two very concise chapters, God recounts his creation acts of everything that has been made and everything that was made. As a matter of fact, the second chapter is so much really a recounting of just the first chapter, a reiteration thereof. But in just a few striking verses, God declares that he created everything that there is. And we understand by the word of God and through faith that he formed and framed the worlds by his word. And that he just simply states the fact, let them argue if they will, let them take it to task if they will, but in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, period. And uh, the, like I said, just a few simple verses of the things that men spend lifetimes just trying to scratch the surface of. All the physics and all the methodology and all the other things uh, that he might try to derive from the universe that he exists in. God just stated it really in one verse and said, there it is, that's how it was. But then when you continue flipping in the Bible, you get into books like Exodus. 
And over 40 odd chapters just in Exodus alone, you will find that God elaborated over and over and over again of the tabernacle that was to be built by his people for a specific reason and a specific purpose. He put it into one very concise statement and verse about the creation of the world. That's not his emphasis. His emphasis is not on the creation of the world. But again, you see his emphasis is not on the creation of the world, but on the creation of a place where that God might dwell with man in this creation. That is where his emphasis is placed. That's what the tabernacle is. In essence, it's God's dwelling place among men. Praise the Lord. But I'd like for you to, uh, being Bible students that you are, don't have to go into a lot of discussion here or drawing out of the tabernacle plan uh, to you here today. I think you understand that it was made according to pattern, that it was something that God specifically designed and had made for a specific purpose and reason. And again, that was to have a dwelling place among his people. But when you look at just the uh, edifice itself and you look at the tabernacle proper being the holy place and the holiest of holies uh, uh, there with the uh, wooden boards overlaid with pure gold that made the walls of gold and then the coverings that covered the top of that tabernacle and then the uh, individual pieces of furniture as it is called in the Bible of those pieces of the candlestick and the table of shoe bread, the altar of incense and, uh, and then to the outer court where was the brazen laver and uh, then the brazen altar and then all that marked with a boundary of a white linen fence uh, and all of them with sockets of, of, uh, of silver that were on the inside and uh, those that made the white linen fence of brass. But there it was, and when you viewed down and looked at it, there was the altar. There was the brazen altar with the smoke issuing forth from it. There is the brazen laver with the crystal clear water that is rippling upon its surface. And then you see the tabernacle proper itself with that one entry, and there was only one entry into the outer court. And that one entry was beautifully uh, uh, put up with a gate of invitation of embroidered work that was beyond uh, man's wonderful comprehension. But there inside uh, was all this. But I'd like for you to look at everything now if it had been placed in place. There's the brazen altar. There's the brazen laver. There is the uh, tabernacle proper. There's the candlestick with the uh, lamps of oil with the wicks in them burning brightly and there is the table of shoe bread with the twelve loaves that are upon it there is the altar of incense waiting 
for its part in the ritual that is to take place. And then there's that thick veil that separates these two places. And beyond that is the Ark of the Covenant with cherubim that are positioned upon it, not looking at each other, but looking at the place where something is going to be applied. And there all that sits. But it's almost like still life if you leave it like that. Because everything's static. Even though the fire is burning, even though the water is ready, even though that the candlestick is shining forth its life and the aroma of the fresh, fresh baked bread is wafting in that inner holy of holies. And then in the darkness of the uh, Ark of the Covenant chamber, all of that is just static. But this is God's plan. This is God's only plan in the Old Testament about a great redemptive work that He is the master of. That He Himself is the work itself. But everything begs for movement. Everything begs for activity. Everything begs for initiator of this system and of this scheme. And therefore, believe it or not, God has placed an individual into this tabernacle plan. He is the priest of God. He is the one that begins to set into motion those things that are vital and those things that are much needed in this operation. But alone without Him, there is no accomplishment of the end result that is needed. There must be a man. There must be an individual that participates and officiates uh, at the altar of incense and at the brazen laver and then into the court of the holy place where that he ministers at the lamp uh, and the table of shoe bread and the altar of incense uh, and finally progressing into that place where the Ark of the Covenant uh, is to transpose uh, and to put into that place uh, the vessel of blood that he has carried uh, all the way from the first step all the way to the end. But without this movement, the plan does nothing. I somehow would like to impress upon all of us that are called to do this holy calling is that God placed on us an awesome responsibility. There is a mission to accomplish and that mission is to accomplish to bring, amen, through all the steps and through all the situations to ultimately bring the blood to the mercy seat. That is what it is all about. Praise the Lord. The fire burns. The instruments are ready. The gate is there. The vessels are all in order. But there is needed the activity of the man. So enter stage right the priest. This is the high and holy calling. Nobody takes this unto himself. This, this one part here just boggles my mind. 
that in the operation of the most delicate, beautiful, and vital and necessary performance of the act of God, God has made it all contingent upon a man. Without the priest, the instruments are useless. The Ark of the Covenant lies desolate. The candlestick shines for no purpose. The loaves of bread have a fragrance that will never be partaken of. That it is static and without utilization. But God has placed into this awesome scheme dependent upon the man. If you can get a hold of that. If you can get a hold of the concept. If somehow we had been God and had the ultimate thing that needed to be done. Would we somehow place it upon frail and, and uh, prone to fail man? Would we have somehow chosen a delicate creature that could easily transgress and fail in the operation? The fire is not going to fail. The golden incense altar is not going to fail. Amen. The golden candlestick is not going to fail. The only situation ingredient that is prone to failure in this operation is a flesh and blood man. But God said, that's what I want. And to officiate in the ministry of the Lord, that man had to have his hands full of the right things. I'm going to say it again. This job of preaching, this ministry, officiating in the mission of what it's about is a hands full job. That priest had to enter with certain things in his hands. And again, understand this point. The ingredients are the key. Not the man. The ingredients are the key. The man is not the ultimate of this situation. The ingredients that take place at each station and in each event is what the emphasis is on. But they cannot be done without the operation of the priest. That which is ultimately vital is placed upon the frailness of man. God's man, God's preacher, God's activator and God's transporter must proceed with divine ingredients in his hands. Praise the Lord. We must understand that the plan is static until the priest moves and then moves with proper ingredients in his hands. That's why you get scriptures like, how shall they preach? Amen. Except what? Except they be sent. Move, man. Praise the Lord. When God called you, he didn't call you 
meant just to fill into a position to look like a preacher. He called you to move. He called you to get in the scheme and in the plan ultimately of what this is all about. Praise the Lord. Yes, Calvary is done. The resurrection has transpired. The day of Pentecost came to its ultimate at the day of the fullness of Pentecost. But I'm telling you that there is still the need, amen, to move and to keep moving the ingredients to the right place to accomplish the right ends about what this is all about. If we don't have preachers that still preach repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, ultimately, you hear me, that we are missing the whole point. Praise the Lord. It's static without the preacher, but brethren, we must, must face the fact that it takes very particular ingredients to be used in this service to the Lord and to transport, to get them activated, to move them into the plan. As far as I know, there's still only one plan of salvation. Just like there was only one tabernacle plan, there's still only one, one, one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you don't have remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Praise God. So let's quickly here, while I try to redeem the time, quickly look at some of these ingredients. We establish the point that the man is, is essential, but he is not the focus in the tabernacle plan or in the plan of the gospel even itself. But there are four vital ingredients in the Old Testament about this process that must be in the preacher's hands. We will start with number one in my list anyway and that is fire. He's going to have to have fire. Now, most time we think about fire, we think about enthusiasm. That definitely has its place. But I mean something other than just enthusiasm. Because I've seen a whole lot of zeal that had no knowledge whatsoever. It's more than just being enthusiastic. And we take nothing from enthusiasm. That actually means the God in you, by the way. But I'm talking here about when he takes those red hot coals off of the brazen altar, that place of death, that place that we know well is the place of repentance. Preachers that preach repentance better be well accustomed to repenting. Death to self. That Old Testament picture of that angel that comes down with the tongs. Remember that old message from years ago? 
too hot for angels to handle. Had to touch it with coals, with tongs to get that burning ember off of that. But you see what he does with it. Well, an angel doesn't touch it. He carries it to the lips of a mortal man and burns it into his mouth. I'm not just talking about enthusiasm. I'm talking about a tongue that is anointed of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about a fire that is set by God himself that comes to the lips of men before we can speak for God. We better have the fire of God on our lips. This is not a place for sermonettes, for Christianettes, and some of them looking like majorettes and a few smoking cigarettes. This is a place where we need men that brand the message into the hearts of the people that he's preaching to. And that can't be done without a man that's had his heart lips on fire from the Holy Ghost. And that is vital to the mission. We're seeing way too many cold lips today. I'm not interested in just rhetoric. I'm not interested in just a whole lot of, of, of stories. I'm interested in hearing the gospel. I'm interested in hearing what God has to say. I'm interested in God coming down and moving in our midst with the flames of fire on the preacher. Hallelujah burning fire that burns its way into men's hearts and lives and brands them a fire enfolding fire of his holiness which brings us to the next process and that is incense he must have his hands full of incense he needs fire and he needs incense hands full he doesn't, he's not going to do anything with just him walking through the tabernacle. Just looking like a priest not going to get this done. He's going to have to be a priest and do priestly things. But he has his hands full of incense. And when he comes into the holy place, before he does anything else, his next maneuver is to go to that golden altar that is before the veil. And there he first pours in the hot coals. And then he begins out of his hands to pour the incense. And there arises a smoke and a fragrance. Remember this prohibition that was put on that incense? It is holy unto the Lord that just means it's not for you and there was a restriction and a penalty for any man that applied it to himself if you use it like perfume to put on yourself that man shall be cut off from his people it was holy unto the Lord but in this process the man comes and there he pours the incense upon the red hot coals and then he waits expectantly there. He does nothing else 
until that room is full of the smoke of that incense. That means everything gets saturated with the fragrance of incense, including him. His clothes and his garments are going to smell like incense. Amen. It was prohibited that any man put that upon themselves. But the only way it could be legally done where you could smell like incense was to be in the place where it was poured out upon hot burning coals. You extract the hot coals from the incense and you don't have the plan. But it's got to be done on a red hot fire. Amen. The incense filling the whole, whole room with its smell and with its smoke. And then he could go on to other procedures and I'd just like to tell you here may God help us uh, amen to get men somehow that know the, the importance of what a prayer room's still all about it's not just for our saints it's still a place for men of God to pray it's still a place where men have to go and pour that incense uh, that's what incense is a type of prayer and a type of praise uh, unto the Lord until that fills the house smell a man that's been praying you can tell the aroma about somebody that's been in a prayer closet with God you can also smell carnality be seated room had to fill with that smoke and then from there, after that is accomplished, he turns toward the bread. But he still has his hands full because he's got other ingredients. He still did not pour all the incense on the fire. He still got some in his hands. And when he goes to the table of shoe bread and is partake of it in the holy place, it was also commanded by the priest that he sprinkle incense on the bread that bread which is one loaf for every tribe twelve loaves enough bread for symbolic of the whole of the people for everybody to reach left right front and back men women children backsliders cold hearted indulgence all the other things that are sitting in the congregation, I'm telling you, the bread still will meet every need. But he said, you got to sprinkle it with incense. Amen. That bread must be prepared with the smoke that is filling the room. And it must be prepared with the incense sprinkled upon it. There must have been a hot prayer meeting. There must have been a diligence to that bread. That it's scent that begins to fill the room. And he partakes of it. He must partake of it first himself. Strange name, isn't it? Shoe bread? What kind of name is that? We know what whole wheat is. Shoe bread? And those 12 loaves of shoe bread? On that table on the north side. That's little table's different also. It's only 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. 
You don't make dinner tables 27 inches high unless you're a kitty. 27 inches high. That bread upon that table of shoe bread. Shoe bread. The word itself in the Hebrew means the face of the presence of God manifested is what that expression means. It is the bread of His presence manifested. It is to be able to see God. It is with shoe bread. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You'll never know Him outside of the Word, because He is the Word. Praise the Lord. But a man must partake of it. You understand that for a priest to partake of this table of shoe bread, that he's not going to sit in a comfortable chair. There is no chair in the furniture of the tabernacle. No place to sit down. But there was places to kneel. And this is one of them. For him to partake of this bread, he's going to get down to table size. And that's on his knees. 27 inches high, the only way to eat this bread is to get down to where it's at. Too many folks are trying to go that way in esteem and pride of yourself. But it's this way to the Word of God. It's this way to the manifestation of the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. It is that way that we find the presence manifested in the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. And then, of course, we come to the prime ingredient in that priest's hand. And that, of course, is blood. Say what they will, but God's preacher must be a blood preacher. I'm not saying that we don't preach other things. You understand that. Don't, don't hem me in here to make me say things I didn't say. But ultimately, the process that we started here, way out there at the brazen altar, was to take that blood to the ultimate place that it needs to go. And that's the mercy seat. Everything else along the way is to propel us on into the depositing of the blood on the mercy seat. That is what it is all about. A man that is not a blood preacher is not a preacher at all. For you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and of gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Lots of times I hear, and I understand, again, give me some leeway here. I understand talking about the, the uh, terrible the pain of Calvary and all that. And uh, that has its place. Uh, but that's not the real purpose of the preaching of Calvary. It's not about a doctor's look uh, at Calvary. It's about God's redemptive power upon that cross. Uh, it's not the how of the cross. It's the why of the cross. Uh, to this end came I. He came to redeem us from our sin. And to have sin redeemed, there has to be blood upon the mercy seat. 
Praise the Lord. Is now smelling, breathing fragrance of incense, breads in his mouth. He walks to the candlestick, as we call it, but it's really not a candlestick at all. It's a place for oil lamps to set upon. There he ministers at that place. No doubt he looks at the ornamentation of this wonderful piece that has been beaten from a talon of gold. A man's weight. A man's size talent. 125 pounds or so of gold. Beaten in the shape. It's totally unique. It's not poured into a form. It's been beaten by hands directed by the Spirit of Almighty God. But look at each extension. This is the ornamentation. It goes bud, flower, almond, and then repeating bud, flower, almond. All the way up each divergent arm. Bud, flower, almond. No man has seen God at any time. Bud. But that's not the end of the story. Bud doesn't change or doesn't necessitate another piece. But the bud in proper time, in the fullness of time, begins to open. And to manifest the bud is the flower. Jesus Christ is the open bud. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You're not looking at a second person. You're looking at the bud revealed. Praise the Lord. And when he goes to Calvary, it'll be the fruit of God, which is the redemptive plan of salvation. Amen. Bud, flower, almond. Amen. All in one. Jesus Christ is all in all. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Ghost. Thank God these three are one. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. So we're on a mission to get the blood to the mercy seat. Amen. That's the purpose of prayer. That's the purpose of praise. That's the purpose of the word. To get the blood to the mercy seat. To fail to do that, we've missed the mission. That's why that's the directive you also find in Acts 2.38. Repent. That's out there at that brazen altar. Be baptized. Brazen labor. Amen. The encompassing of the Holy Ghost, which is all that the tabernacle proper that is there. And that is for the remission of sin. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let me quickly conclude here. Even though what I'm going to mention as an ingredient here 
is not something he brought from without. It is something that he is evident of within. We've mentioned the key ingredients, which are fire, incense, bread, and blood. But I'd like to take just a moment and talk to you about the dust. It always intrigued me of God's design of the tabernacle. I mean, if you stood in there, there's a reflection of golden walls, solid gold. There is a tapestry, the innermost covering being that of an angelic host of the heaven over his head. There is the golden candlestick with his fire making the reflections shimmer all over in that golden walled building. And then the altar, golden altar of incense and a table of shoe bread. Precious veil. It just always bothered me that they left the floor dirt, a dust floor. But God knew what He was doing. Because you see again, this mover, this transporter is the man. God's action is the gold. It's not your action, it's His action. You didn't give anybody the Holy Ghost. You didn't save anybody and you didn't heal anybody. Here He comes in with His hands full of these ingredients. Beautiful tapestry above Him. The shimmering of the golden walls. Oops. Look at your feet, sir dust walking in dust in this heavenly atmosphere walking in the midst of the dust of the tabernacle that is in that place just like to remind you sir dust thou art into dust you will return this priest shall come and that priest shall go. But the ingredients are eternal. The messengers die, but the message lives on. Hallelujah. But just don't you forget in the midst of the time of smelling the fragrance and the golden spectacle and the heavenly view over your head that you're still a man. You're still just a man called of God, used of God, but still a man. Sometimes maybe the best thing to do after one of those mighty services where you really have felt God and really 
have been anointed to preach and things accomplished and done maybe be to slip out the back door of your office and fall on your knees and reach down in the dirt and grab you a handful of sand. Because what God said, this is the way I found you right here. This is what you were without me. Little boy's definition of mud is, or, or dust is mud with all the juice squeezed out of it. This is what you are. You know, you know, we, we talk about we talk about former man. You usually hear, you know, I even like the song Mari Clay. No, no, it wasn't Mari Clay. Mari Clay has the ability to to you know be congealed and to make a form easily. Not dust. Not dust. This is what this is what you were. Look at you. You have your inanimate. You have no thoughts. You don't have anything of significance. You're lowly esteemed. You're trodden on the foot of man. This is what you were. It didn't say God formed man out of clay, but out of the impossibility of dust. Dust that that a little girl, my little granddaughters, get out in the in the sand pile and they uh, fill a bucket with sand. It turned upside down. They uh, pull it up and all the sand just you know goes every which way. Instead of holding the form of that bucket, and they say, uh, uh, Paul, what our, our, we can't make a sand castle. That's because that dust is impossible to form that way. Amen. It has to have something else that is added to it. it has to have a, a, a divine hand that is upon it when it comes to dust. Amen. We don't have anything to pat ourselves on the back about. Amen. We don't have anything to brag about. You just go out there and grab you up a handful of dust. That's what we are. That's how we were until God fashioned and formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life and man became a living soul that's how you were called as a preacher too he took you out of the, of the world brought you in out and formed and fashioned you into a man of God praise the Lord hallelujah well the Mayo mentioned last night about the dust about that bitter jealousy test. You see, the, the test there was two ingredients in the cup. Holy water, which is water from the brazen laver. Water of baptism, of separation, of purification. And then not just any dust, but dust underneath the roof of the tabernacle. He took a handful of that and put it into the cup. Drink. What is in the cup? It is not the properties of the cup that will determine what happens. It is the properties of the individual that determines what happens. The innocent the water for purification will be the predominant effect. But for the guilty, sensual and earthly, then they shall 
taste the bitter taste of the grit of the dust and die. May God help us as preachers to realize that this holy, holy calling that what happens in our personal lives depends on what's going on in our heart. That while we are walking in the dust, remembering that we're just flesh, He remembered that we're just dust and had pity upon us. Amen. God didn't lay a golden or silver floor. He left it dust. Praise the Lord. So what's in your hands, preacher? We're in a sad day when holiness preaching is something that men start fleeing from. When that there is the appeal today for stand-up comics, orators, and uh, social gospel individuals, May God still keep giving us men that's on the mission to take the blood to the mercy seat. Would you stand with me, please? Let me close by the best way I know how, and that's the reading of just a few verses of Scripture. Second Corinthians 4. Therefore, Seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light, to shine out of darkness have shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence. It's all about him. It's all about how that he came to save us. It's not about us. It's not about any individual outside of him. But it's about Jesus Christ. Amen. And a preacher that preaches this better have his hands full of the right things amen would you lift your hands here with me today 
God, I remember that I'm just dust. Why you called me, I have no idea. But help me. Help me, Jesus. Do what I need to do. As they sing right now, just continue to worship the Lord.